by presents, right? So, you know, first timers, we were a bit new to this, kind of, you know, going, ah, whoops, we need to get that stuff sorted. So uh, I was back in 2019, it was Christmas Eve, and I thought, what better place to go shopping than at the base, right? You kind of got everything you need there, right? That's right. Well, the story's not actually about the anarchy that happens at the base on Christmas Eve. Uh, I was heading out, I was like, oh, I need to fill up with fuel, so popped into the BP, uh, just here in Leamington, and um, I was standing in line. And as I was standing in line, there was this um, Māori woman with about five kids that were kind of half in the car, half out of the car, kind of running around a little bit crazy-like. And um, she was getting into an argument with the cashier about paying for her fuel. And so, not sure if you guys are familiar, but there's the BP have an app now, and so you can pay on your app, and you like don't even have to go in or something like that. I haven't quite got to that point of trusting um, apps, apps to that extent. Um, but what happened was she went to pay for it and her phone went flat, but she never card on her, so she was having this conversation with, um, with the cashier about shooting home and getting money and coming back and, and paying for the fuel. And um, it was beginning to get quite heated in that moment. And so I just kind of stepped in and just went, hey, I'll pay for it. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And the look on the cashier's face was like, what are you doing? Like, are, are you sure? You know, like, because in his eyes... I could see distrust for her. And so when I came forward to pay, it was a bit like, I think she might be trying to scam us here, you know, kind of situation. Like she was, um, it, it just didn't seem right, the situation that, that was happening. And one of the reasons that I actually stepped in was not so much out of a philanthropic heart or anything like that. I just kind of saw an opportunity to pay for someone and then talk to them about church and Jesus afterwards. But actually initially when I saw this woman, I saw uh, my best friend's sister-in-law. Uh, who I knew quite well. They live in Australia now, but when I saw her, that's, that's who I saw. She looked very similar to her, um, and, and so I just went, if that was her, what would I do in this situation? And then I took it a step further, and I thought, well, if this was Jess, what would I expect someone to do in this situation? And so I just gave lovingly, and, and I paid for it, and she was like, oh, give me your number, I'll you know, pay you back. I'm like, no, no, it's good. God's been good to us this year. That's, that's for you. Go and have a Merry Christmas. And we got chatting about other stuff afterwards and, and different things like that. And, and this is not a story to, to puff up my great love for people. I don't do it very often. It was a very rare thing that happens in my life. Um, but at that moment, that's the, the uh, urge that I felt, that, that the desire that God had put in my heart was to love this woman in this way. But something interesting happened in that was, as the guy first looked at me when I offered it, I almost felt embarrassed for offering. I felt almost a bit shamed that I would be loving in this way. And um, I don't know about you guys, but we, we, I seem to be observing that our culture is becoming more and more sort of shame-based. And so for the older generation here, you guys might not experience it quite as much, but our young people and our young adults in particular in the world that they live in are starting to experience a world where if you do the wrong thing, you will be publicly shamed for it right? And so the problem is, is what's right and wrong has changed. And so all that has changed. But one of the other things that I noticed that happens in my life, as well as in other people's lives, I think, is that we are so worried about being embarrassed and shamed for the wrong thing and standing out for the wrong thing, that sometimes we also hide from doing the right thing as well. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this, where maybe you've seen the right thing that it is to do, but something's just held you back because you're worried about being embarrassed for doing the right thing. You're worried that someone might look for a reason to shame you, even though you're doing the right thing. 
Has anybody else experienced this? I see a few nods out there. Okay, so there's a few people that have experienced this as well. So the challenge then that faces is, what is going to be the driving force for love in our life that is greater than the fear of shame and embarrassment? What is going to be that driving force? And and the text that we're going to be looking at today is going to answer two very simple questions for us. It's going to be asking, what motivates us to love? What is our motivating factor? What is the driving force? What is the thing that will overcome the shame and embarrassment when we seek to go and love people? The second question that our text today is going to answer for us is how do we express our love? How do we express that love? And if you've already seen, you can see up on the screen there that Luke 7 is going to be our passage for us today from verses 36 to 50. So if you want to turn there, and we're going to make our way through this passage and just reading this story and soaking in this story. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So that is Jesus. I'm reading from the ESV version. So if you've got your devices and you want to flick to the same translation to make it easier for yourselves. Uh, One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Okay, we need to pause there for two seconds. We need to understand something about the culture and the history of the time. Now, reclining at table isn't like having the lazy boy at the back there and reclining at the table, right? Reclining actually is quite good. We've got some cushions here. Because reclining at table kind of, they would have had cushions like these. This probably would have been about the height of their table. They would have had these on the floor. They would have laid down and they would be eating at the table like this. So their feet are out behind them. Might seem a little bit weird. Culturally, that's what they did. Very important for the story to help us understand what is going on. Verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, right? So understanding how he's reclining at table. Standing behind him, uh, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So when the Pharisee saw this, he began, uh, so when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. For she is a sinner. So Jesus answering said to him, so here we go. He actually, answer, he actually answers the Pharisee's question straight off the bat. Is he a prophet? Well, he just interpreted what you said to yourself and nobody else heard him. So there's probably a good indication here that Jesus is uh, at least by minimum a prophet in this instance. He said to him, can I tell you something? And uh, the Pharisee answered, say it, teacher. He said there was a certain, certain money lender. Oh, there you go. I've doubled up on the slides. There you go. That's what happens when you don't double check stuff. All right. Jesus teaching here. He said, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. So to help us understand, a denarii is about a day's wage, right? So we've got about a year and a half's worth of salary versus 50 days worth of salary. Two people owed the moneylender money. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And he asked him this question, now which of them will love him more? So 
Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? He said, I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. Yet she wiped them with, uh, um, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I entered, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she um, <clears throat> has anointed my feet with ointment. And here's the catch. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now there's kind of just an initial question within this text that Luke was trying to uh, get across to his readers that, that Jesus was explaining or that was coming through Jesus in the story. One that we don't need to actually spend too much time on, okay? Because it's one that we sitting in this church understand more so than the original readers that Luke uh, was writing to. And that is that it goes back to the previous story where John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who we are expecting or should we wait for another? And he goes, well, I've just, in the last hour, Basically goes, I've healed people, I've cast out demons, the, sight can, uh, the blind can see, and you know, the lame can walk, all these kind of things. But then again, in this story, we see what? If this man were a prophet, well, he clearly is a prophet because he knows what you're thinking. But there's something greater that happens in the story that Jesus forgives the sins of this woman. And everyone at the end is going, so who then is this that he can forgive sins? And there's actually only one answer to that. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. So that's one of the big questions that Luke is trying to get across to us. But uh, G, uh, Bradley actually last week did a really good job of answering this from the previous text. And so we're not going to spend too much time on it today. But as we look through the Gospel of Luke, it is one of the questions that Luke is answering for us. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? So he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who can forgive sins. But it comes down to those two questions again, which we want to spend some time looking at today. That as Luke wrote this story, as Jesus interacted with this woman, he's drawing out two questions for us to ask of ourselves. So what motivates us to love and how do we express our love? Now, hopefully, if you were listening with reasonable intent, you would have got out of it pretty quickly that there is a very obvious reason for us to love, right? Forgiveness. God's great forgiveness. You see, we see in the story that God's forgiveness is given freely without regard to social status. You see, the woman in the story probably wasn't welcome in that person's house. She either would have snuck her way in or she would have walked in feeling ashamed and being in that place. Throughout this entire story, all we know about her is that she's a sinner. We don't know her job. We don't know her family status. We don't know her marital status. She's just a sinner. Now, one of the ways that we can deduct kind of a little bit more about her is that if 
everybody knew that she was a sinner, probably quite a public sin. And in those days, they reckon probably it comes down to two things. She was either an adulterer, so that means that she was cheating on her husband with other men, or she was a prostitute. Those are probably the two options as to who this woman is or who this woman was. And so when a prostitute or an adulterer enters into a Pharisee's house, one of the expectations is that she thought she could have got stoned. Remember in John 8, they bring an adulteress before Jesus with what expectation? To stone her. They wanted Jesus to stone her. So if a prostitute or an adulterer walks into this house, there is a real threat actually for her life in this situation. She is not welcome there. Yet when God looks at, when Jesus looks upon this woman and says, your sins are forgiven, God's forgiveness is offered freely without regard to social status. Without regard. God's forgiveness wipes away all sin without hesitation and without question. It's interesting in the story of the moneylender that all we get is they can't pay it, so he wipes their debt. That's it. At the end of the story, does he command anything of that woman? No. God's forgiveness wipes away all sin without hesitation and without question. One of the challenges that we face with this is that often our forgiveness doesn't come in this way. And it's a challenge because I think sometimes it's really, I actually find it really hard sometimes to fully understand how God can forgive in this way. Because there are some bad people in the world. I am a bad person in this world. I look at my sin and think, how could God truly forgive all of that without hesitation and without question? Man, God is good. This is the Jesus that this woman saw and experienced. Finally, God's forgiveness leaves people in awe and it changes them. Building off that point, we see at the end of the story that people are surprised. Who then is this who even forgives sins? But could you imagine that conversation heading home from this event? She's forgiven? Really? Not the Pharisee? What is going on here? But what does it leave for this woman? She is weeping. She is broken. She is pouring ointment. She is kissing someone's feet. Now, this isn't like kissing our feet after wearing shoes all day in an office, and it's really nice. Jesus has been walking around in dirt and in dust and bugs and all this nonsense. And she was kissing his feet. <laughs> that is a life changed when she experienced Jesus. A life changed. Which leads us to the next point. <clears throat> so God has a great forgiveness for us. For every single one of us. Some of us here may not have experienced this forgiveness yet. I pray that today you will. I pray that today you will understand that God's forgiveness is for every single one of you. Without question and without hesitation, 
without regard to your social status, without regard to what sin you've done in the past, what you might walk in here carrying or bearing, God's forgiveness is for you. It is a great forgiveness. So that is our motivating factor. Because a great forgiveness, according to this story, leads to what? Great love. He who has been forgiven much, or the person who has been forgiven much, loves much. A great forgiveness equals a great love. But there's something about this love. It's a bit different to the love that we experience in this world, isn't it? <clears throat> I remember watching a Jewish rabbi talk about love once, and he calls it, uh, the, world, the world's love is called a fish love, right? So he says, <clears throat> I love fish. What does that normally mean? I like to eat fish. I like to kill it and cook it up and eat it in my belly, right? Is that kind of love good for the fish? Probably not. Unless it was really old and, you know, it was tired with life and we needed to end its life early or something like that, right? Huh? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you want the good, healthy ones, eh, to eat well. Yep. That's the kind of love we experience in the world. <clears throat> it's the kind of love we experience in marriages, right? It's a fish love. I love you because of what you can give me. It's the love that the world is selling our young people, right? I remember watching a, I can't remember if it was a TV show or a movie, and just entirely throughout the movie, every time the confession of love came out, the next scene was a sex scene, right? The world's view of love is distorted and warped. It's a fish kind of love. The rabbi goes on to speak of a true love. And Jesus in the story shows us a true love. It's a love that will cost you. We don't know exactly the cost of what that uh, ointment was in that flask. But um, other stories that have a similar tone to this one with a woman um, breaking ointment over Jesus is it talks about kind of like a, a year's worth of a year's salary worth for that. Okay, so the average income in New Zealand is around that 70 to 80 grand mark. So imagine ointment or perfume or something worth between 70 and $80,000 and she breaks it over on his feet pours it out a great forgiveness from god brings a great love in our life but that love is going to cost us it may cost us with our money most of the time it'll cost us with our time it'll cost us with our hands it'll cost us with our resources it might cost us in our social status it might cost us in how people view us in our workplace but if we, are truly, if we are truly experiencing, if we are truly understanding the great forgiveness of God, the love that comes out of that will be a love that will cost us. It's also a love that is extravagant. A love that is extravagant. Again, think of that money that poured into that ointment that she then just poured on Jesus' feet. It's extravagant in the sense that she didn't bring water and a towel or anything like that. She just used what she had. In that room, everybody stopped and saw what was happening. It was an extravagant kind of love. But the amazing thing is, is I can love extravagantly because the forgiveness is extravagant. The forgiveness covers an eternal amount of sin. Therefore, my love is going to be extravagant. Finally, from this story, we get a love that is unashamed. 
we see in the story a woman who probably shouldn't have been there. Pharisee wouldn't have wanted her there. In that room, Jesus was probably the only person who was happy to see her there. But she went anyway. Could you imagine if we were at a, at a room, at a table, and something like this happened? Be a little embarrassed. Might think of her in a little bit of a different way. Judgment might come through our minds. As much as we wouldn't want to, in a social setting like that, that would just cross our mind. We might not act out of it, but it would come to our thoughts. When was the last time we loved in a way that people around us looked at us and were almost embarrassed for the way that we loved? I can't remember the last time I loved in that way. I can't remember the last time I loved in a way that was so different from society that people were like, whoa, what the heck's Aaron up to? Could you say you've ever done that? Could I say I've ever done that? You know, we just, it's challenging. A love that is unashamed, that doesn't care what people think about us, that doesn't care what the response is going to be, that we know that in that moment, to love God well and to love the person that God's put in our life might bring shame upon us, but we don't care. And why? Because the love for that person is connected to the forgiveness of God. Is it not? It is a great forgiveness. You know, as we go through the series of seeing Jesus, we are trying to go back and sit in that place and see Jesus for who he truly was. What would you, how would you respond in a situation like that? This woman, upon seeing Jesus, breaks down in tears. I was um, trying to understand this kind of concept between a great forgiveness and a little forgiveness, right? Both are required, okay? Both are forgiven. It's an interesting part of the story, right, is Jesus is still offering forgiveness to the Pharisee. He's just saying it might be different. When I look at this story, I can often see myself as a Pharisee. I grew up in the church, Christian parents, Christian grandparents, no wild teenage years of doing too many bad, bad things, you know, that's how we might view it. And so I kind of go, well, my forgiveness isn't as big as that person's forgiveness. But then there's something in that that maybe I'm viewing forgiveness wrong sometimes by just being forgiven for the actions that I've done wrong. Instead of understanding at the core of me being a sinner is eternal separation from God. All of us, one sin, many sins, doesn't matter, leads to eternal separation from God. For that to be forgiven is a great forgiveness. For that to be forgiven is a great forgiveness. We see in the story that Jesus just goes, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't that be nice? But Jesus could do that knowing what was to come. Death on a cross. Payment for our sin. So that you and I could experience forgiveness freely without regard to our social status. That we would be given forgiveness without hesitation and without question. One of the things I find challenging in this passage is Jesus doesn't give us any commands. 
He doesn't say, now go and be forgiven to all of us reading or the others sitting there. He also doesn't say to this woman, now go and love me heaps. He just says, you're forgiven. And she loves extravagantly and loves unashamed. You know, often as Christians, and I've experienced this growing up in the church too, when it comes to something that we don't want to do, we kind of have to find a command in the Bible so we can be like, Jesus actually told me to do this. Anybody else done that before? Just me? Okay, cool. That's all right. You can all confess your sins later. That's fine. No. You know, sometimes when it's like, do I truly have to evangelize? Oh, yeah, the Bible says that I actually have to do that. Do I truly have to love my neighbor? Oh, yeah, the Bible, Jesus commands me to love my neighbor. Do I have to love my enemy? I don't really like them very much. Jesus commands us to pray and love for our, our enemies. We need to kind of go looking for those commands when it comes to things that we don't want to do. This woman wasn't looking for a command. In her experience of a great forgiveness from Jesus, she responds immediately and without hesitation to a love that is unashamed. What a challenge that is for us to wake up each day reminding ourselves of the forgiveness of God so that it will produce a great love in our lives. One of the things I want to do to close here is actually to offer you guys a couple minutes to reflect on this. Because often otherwise we'll go into a song and then we'll close and then you'll talk and probably we'll forget. That's right. I've grown up in church. It happens. I get it. So what I want you to do, take a couple minutes and to just dwell on this question and to dwell on what Jesus said that he says, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Why don't you just pause and reflect on that? Have you been forgiven much or forgiven little? And then how will you love and respond to that? Think extravagantly, think unashamedly. Think about the cost. Think about all those things. Just take a couple minutes now and just ask God to reveal to you how you're going to love in response to this. Maybe in this moment, God has shown something 
small that you can do this week or extravagant, but, but something that you can go and do this week. But I also have a feeling, and I was talking about this with Jeremy on Friday, that maybe somebody here actually has started to think of a way that we as a church could do something, or that maybe that's something that's bigger than what you could just do in this week, and you would love to talk about it. Uh, Richard kind of said at the start that there are no electives this morning, and, and that is true, um, but as is the lateness of the year, the lateness of things, you know, popping up. Uh, I'm going to be in the Corfi Lounge after the service at 11 a.m. And if there was an idea that God gave you in that moment or that you've had, and you would love to talk more about it, about how we can love extravagantly and unashamedly, if you just want to talk through anything from the message, just come in, come in at 11 and I'll be in the Corfi Lounge and we can have a conversation about that. Um, but I also think there might be somebody else here as well who has yet to fully experience the forgiveness of God that we see in this passage. And, and if that is you, then straight after the service, come and grab either myself or Jeremy or one of the elders. Uh, maybe a few of us might just be around the front. Just come and grab us and have a conversation with us because we would love to chat with you more about that forgiveness that God offers to you. Well, what we're going to do now is in an immediate expression of uh, this great forgiveness is a great love is through worship, right? In the story, we see that this woman's actually worshiping Jesus at his feet. And so we're going to do something similar in our own context, which is to sing a song. And so we're going to invite the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us as we respond to this great forgiveness through worship. So let me pray as the band comes up. <clears throat> Father, as we read this story this morning, I pray, Lord, that you will use it to confront maybe our view of our own sin, thinking that it is little. Help us to understand the greatness and the depth of our sin, Lord. But Father, not to just leave us wallowing in our self-pity in that space, Lord, but to truly understand your great forgiveness that comes without question and hesitation to all who have faith and trust in you. Father, we know that we can't muster up this kind of love ourselves. We can't will it into fruition, Lord that it has to come from your Spirit working inside our lives, working in us to give us new desires. Father, this week, give us eyes to see those who need our extravagant love. Lord, as we lead up to Christmas time, and it is a time of giving, may we give out of the goodness of your love, not just our love. Father, may we be a church united around your forgiveness and your gospel, that when people see us, they see a community of believers loving this community extravagantly and, and unashamed, Lord, to say this is why we're doing it. As we come now and we worship you and we respond, may it bring a smile to your face. We pray for this in Jesus' name.